to Creative Place, the podcast for creative placemakers. I'm your host, Andrea Orlando. This episode was recorded on September 10th, 2020, as part of our Community Coffee Talk series. Our guests are dance professionals, an executive director of a dance studio in Somerset, New Jersey, and a professor of dance at the University of Vermont. At the time of the recording, students and teachers were just returning to school at the beginning of a strange academic year. And we asked, when the dance studio itself is the place and the community, how do dancers create that place while adhering to public health and safety guidelines? Have a listen. I'm going to introduce our live guests. Ginger Haithcox is Executive Director of Modern Motion. She started Modern Motion in 2005 after her ballet instructor in college encouraged her to pursue founding a nonprofit dance company. Initially, she focused on liturgical dance for local churches and teaching at local dance studios. Her vision for Modern Motion soon included a full-scale dance school for children, and she founded Modern Motion in 2010 with Monday night classes all taught by her while she built her career in nonprofit ministries and youth-serving organizations. Her leadership of Modern Motion Dance School has focused on the development, training, and implementation of the school's curriculum, building up a youth leadership and mentoring program for older dancers, widespread community outreach performances, as well as extensive staff development, which includes workforce development. So, hi, Ginger. Hello. (laughs) Thank you. And uh, Paul Besaw is currently professor and interim chair of the Department of Theater and Dance at the University of Vermont. He teaches choreography, dance history, directing, performance, among, among other things, and was awarded the University of Vermont's, oh, you're going to have to help me with the pronunciation here, Paul, the Kropsch? Uh, Kropsch Maurice, it's incredibly hard to say. <laughs> Kropsch Maurice Award for Excellence in Teaching in 2010. 2010 was a good year. <laughs> Born and raised in rural New Hampshire, he grew up having no idea that there was ever such a thing as modern dance or experimental theater. And now he's an active creator and performer and a dance and theater artist with a primary interest in developing original performance works that integrate collaboration across art forms. And so fun fact about Paul, Paul has an ongoing interest in traditional Korean dance, having studied Salpuri with Kim So-yi. And fun fact about Ginger, Ginger is doing now what she always said she wanted to do as a middle school and high school student. How often does that happen, right? (laughs) I'm also going to introduce another person who was going to be a guest, but can't join us live today because she's actually teaching. So her name is Armani Saad Tan. She's artistic director and owner of the Rawway Dance Theater, a 20-year-old local dance ballet school. Broadway Dance Theater aims to share the gift of dance with the community by showcasing cultural diversity, by using dance as an educational tool, and by clearing the biases of who is fit to be a dancer. 
Armani's life work thus far has been to lead by example in helping dancers of all ages to feel empowered in their own skin, no matter their physique or experience in dance. And so with that, I am gonna share a short video that Armani prepared for us. Hi everyone, Armani here. I'm the artistic director of Broadway Dance Theater. One of the most major ways that we've had to pivot as a studio during the pandemic was, well, at first we had to move our classes online for the first time ever. Me as a dance teacher, that's something I had never experienced. So emotionally, that was a, that was difficult to walk my students through because it was something I had never faced. So as I'm facing it from my perspective, I'm trying to help children, parents feel comfortable kind of with a major shift like that. It maybe took us a few weeks to get adjusted, but we started to realize as the weeks went on that, you know, dance is a very social art, you know? Like it's one thing to train at home by yourself, but we're missing the social aspect of it where you're feeding off of other dancers' energy. You're able to, me as a teacher, I'm able to give the best feedback and critiques to my students when I'm in person with them because there's a lot of nonverbal communication that goes on when you're in the room with someone. So it, it felt like to be, to be on Zoom teaching dance, it kind of just felt like, you know, it, it feels like we're so far removed from each other, if that makes sense. But um, the solution we came up with this summer because we were all just feeling wiped out that online classes didn't feel as rich as being in class in person was. We didn't feel the energy, the electricity of kind of being together. So this summer we tried out having classes outdoors. We were lucky to find a place at Railway Park, the football field, where we could have socially distanced outdoor classes. So then that comes with its own challenges there that we're not dancing on a dance floor, there's no mirrors, you know, but even that was better than online classes. So we're really looking forward to reopening our facility September 19th for in-person classes because we really just wanna get the, the connectedness back of, you know, it's not just dancer versus the mirror, it's dancer in a room full of dancers all working towards a common goal and they wanted just to be we're looking forward to really being able to feel that again so that that that's sort of the ways that we've been challenged in this time but as creatives we always find a way so i'm really excited to see what this year brings for us i love that as creatives we always find a way the first question that i wanted to ask is you know we'll start we'll start with uh, ginger so what have you been doing this summer and what's going to happen in the fall so this summer um we wrapped up our 2019 2020 season by doing a virtual recital and it was a good way for me to leverage some of my other creative skills so we actually had each dancer come one at a time um, and we recorded them outdoors in the grass area behind the studio. And they did their dances for our performance. 
um, one at a time. And then I edited together all those videos per class and made an entirely virtual recital that was a YouTube premiere. So um, all of the kids did their dancing parts together. If they had partnering, their screens were up next to each other. And it was a cool opportunity. I talked to the kids about, you know, the Brady Bunch were kind of pioneers in having tiled screens, right? And that opening, we used Brady Bunch song as an opening number for our uh-huh. show. So that really uh, gave us a way to wrap up a season that started as a traditional dance season and then shifted very quickly to an online season where all the classes were online. And the kids really enjoyed having the opportunity to dance in person. Um, I had seen a lot of my peers doing virtual recitals where they would set up a Zoom and the kids would just dance their recital dance on Zoom and their studio was hosting the audio. And that just didn't seem like a good fit for us. I'm really glad we did that. And then uh, in July, we offered completely online classes, um, a short four week session for that. And we started back August 15th with outdoor classes, which was actually inspired by doing the recital recording of the kids behind the building. So we, we did a big investment in getting some equipment to be able to hold classes outdoors and to have flooring appropriate for a teacher standing there for multiple hours. But we're, we're, we're doing classes outdoors right now. We have not brought kids back indoors. We have people who are really concerned about having their kids be in person right now. And even our local school district has decided to start the year virtually. So it seemed like a good fit because it's like the one thing that the kids get to do where they see each other and they don't have to wear a mask because we're spaced out outdoors. And so they can still get some of those social cues and seeing their friends and being able to smile and respond to someone, be able to pick up on that as a young child. How has it been for the teachers? I think it was an adjustment. Like, oh, okay, we're dancing on, so we have um, like a dance foam padding and then a plastic interlocking dance floor on top of that, and then a sheet of Marley. So instead of having the run of a 40-foot studio, they're now on a a small space. So that was an adjustment. But I think that they enjoy seeing their dancers again. The majority of the students that are enrolled right now are returning students from this past season, and being able to connect with those kids again, and just starting the class off, you can see the kids are kind of drained and they're just, they've got a lot going on right now. And to see them kind of evolve and just in a warm up, uh, just perking up and getting so excited and enjoying moving again, seeing other people again, it's really, it does something for your soul. And do you find that they're paying attention better or, or worse or yes. the same? Huh? Yeah, they're paying attention better. And the, the thing that really struck me was, I know that there's a lot of talk about how online instruction isn't as good as in-person or maybe they're not learning as much, but I substituted for one of my tap teachers and those kids retained all of their technique and improved. Having been taught on Google Meet from March through July, they were precise. They were better than they were before they left in March. And so that really speaks to, hey, dance can be translated to people, whether we're just saying it orally, we've got videos, we've got pictures, we're doing it over a screen, it can still happen. People can still develop and grow as dancers online. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And, and the age, the age range is? We have the youngest are three years old and the oldest are in high school. So, so Paul, you're working with college age 
students. Uh, so, so how is up in Vermont at the University of Vermont? How is that going? So far, so good. He said hesitantly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we had a situation like everybody were in March. Everybody went home from the university, and we were sort of left in in the lurch. And luckily, we had finished earlier in the semester our two big departmental performances. So we were mostly left with student projects that we had to reconfigure, but kind of in the moment really quick. And, and the summer sort of a downtime for us. So it mostly was a summer of anticipation as we kind of waited for the administration in conjunction with the governor and everything that was happening, medical officials in the state to sort of see if, if we were going to have students on campus at all. So they decided we were and students came back a couple weeks ago and we're finishing our second week of classes. So we're here and we're teaching, we're teaching a pretty, almost everything we normally would teach. And a lot of it is, is inside. So we, we had to be creative with, with how we're doing it, but we are in studio spaces and doing things inside. And I know that's happening a lot of places. I know it's not happening a lot of places too, as, as universities started online or had to change course pretty early on. I think maybe a lot of us have seen that in the, the media, what's happening with universities. So uh, yeah, we, we're figuring it out and, and it ranges from classes to performances to student-made projects, kind of doing some new initiatives and doing modified versions of what we've always done. And so you were telling me that because the dance department is one of the few departments that's having in-person classes. Yeah, I'd say most. So when the when the university decided to go back, they were they were really concerned that we would have enough in-person experiences for students to want to come back and be on campus. So they really tried to to encourage faculty to do in-person if they could do it at all. And this is across the university, if they could do it at all. And that, that consists of classes that meet regularly all in person, but also these mixed. We've heard, you know, there's a lot of out there about various hybrid models. So the most, I think the most common model for us is meeting with half your class on a Tuesday and the other half on a Thursday or um, something like that. Um, and then having kind of an online or virtual experience. So either the people who are not in the room in class are watching the class from home or doing some sort of other online experience. And then we have fully remote or online classes. So the university really tried to push for a nice blend of those. So every student could get a nice mix of what they wanted. So some students wanted to do more online because they felt safer. Other students wanted more in person. It turns out in our department, most of our people, especially the people who teach studio stuff like applied classes in the studio, dance technique, acting, those things, they just like to do it in person and felt comfortable enough in person. So it became a question of the space, how to manage the space in a modified way, think about ventilation, all these super simple things, right? Like nothing about it was simple, but how to make it work. And so I think our department is, has much more in-person contact than most of the other departments, I think, who teach more standard kind of lecture discussion-based uh, classes. And so I'm gonna ask both of you the same question. What do you miss most about the way you were teaching before the pandemic? And, and then later I'll ask, you know, what, what has been the unexpected benefit, if there has been any? I think what came to mind first was kind of the collaboration and improvisation or partnering 
even at the three, four, five-year-old level, we always had some sort of creative activity or pretend or something that's just free form so the kids can really explore movement or do some sort of partnering and things like that. And because we're maintaining social distance, we just can't do that anymore. And so we can still do creative activities, but it's limited to their, in our case, to their rectangle. And they don't get the opportunity to, you know, dance with a partner and you do a high level, they do a low level and they dance around each other or hold hands. And I think it really, whenever we think of doing those activities, it's like, wait, how do we modify it? Um, we've been able to modify so many other things, but being able to do that, you know, the simple thing of touch or, you know, some of the teachers say, I'm so used to just like tapping your toe, like, oh, this foot, or you want to extend the line and you want to you know, like give them a quick patch on, on their leg and you can't do that anymore. So I think just some of those creative activities and some of the teaching tools, having to do that without, forget touch, just even space. Yeah. 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 I think you don't even realize how much touch comes into play until you can't, until you can't do it. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, that's an important way for, uh, I mean, some people lear- are kinesthetic learners. Yeah. Paul? Yeah. I think that kind of picking up from there, I think there's the idea of connection, like, uh, and different types of connection touch certainly uh, next semester i have a colleague who is supposed to teach contact improvisation we're, we're not gonna offer that although for a little bit i was trying to get really creative and kind of re-envisioning what contact improvisation would look like without any contact without any actual physical contact but um yeah that kind of connection so everybody all the students signed a pledge they have to wear masks all the time and that includes all of our classes and i was just emailing back and forth with a colleague today and he was talking about having first year students and, and not really knowing what their faces really look like. And mm. them talking about how hard it is mm. to make friends in college because they can't, they don't know the real face of these people. And it was like, oh, the way connection at every level is sort of interrupted and how it's interrupting dance. That, I mean, in terms of what I miss, I miss the kind of the the effortless way dance just creates connection. Even when you're, even when you're not trying that hard to get people connected, it's doing it just by the, the action. The thing, I like the creative imagination, problem solving of it though, in a way, I remember in, in March when we all had to go away, I remember my dance colleagues were the people I was less, the least worried about. I was like, oh, they figured that, they got it. Hmm. They, they just had this kind of way of reimagining and reconfiguring. It's cool. So my composition class that has to make work with nobody going near each other. <laughs> I don't know how they're going to do it, but it becomes kind of a creative problem solving exercise. And, and there's a way if you, if you can, if you can get in a good place and kind of look at it as such, I think there's something to be gained from, from engaging in these kind of problem solving exercises. And, and how about you, Ginger? You were saying that your TAP students are doing really well. I'm really surprised and impressed by that. That's I think because for them, their determination to keep dancing and doing something that's normal drove them. But also, I, I think I mentioned to you at one point, the kids who were talkative in studio or easily distracted with their friends and their phones, they're not doing that online. They're not doing that outdoors. There's stuff that, you know, it's so minimal what they bring with them now. You know, I, I, I was thoroughly impressed 
um, with what they were able to do, or even the kids in ballet, we were doing ballet kind of very nonprofit style, no bars <laughs> outside, and they're, they're they're totally fine. And I said, you guys are going to be the strongest kids. You have nothing to lean on. And I totally agree with Paul. I mean, the creative aspect of it, you know, we're not making a choo-choo train and marching this way. We're going around our mat or we're jumping over it. And so we're using kind of site-specific movement. Like this is what our site looks like now. This is how we move in a new space. And it does pave the way for some real creativity. I mean, I've even seen things. There's a TikTok video that someone had and they were doing mm -hmm. maskography and they were dancing and putting on their mask in fun ways. I mean, they're just, dancers will create something out of nothing. So I, I totally agree. It's an opportunity to be really creative and create something new. Dancers, I think, you know, when it comes to creative placemaking and, you know, giving to the community, you know, I know, Ginger, what you give is, you know, workforce development, you know, with your mentoring in entrepreneurial skills and business skills. And, you know, Paul, I know that you're, you're giving your performance, you know, to the community. And what I'm wondering is, how are you taking care of yourselves, you know, as, as human beings, as you know, Ginger, in your case, you, uh, entrepreneur or, you know, executive director, I should say. I would say there's a couple of things. One is to continue to having the mode of being a student as well. And so learning from other artists. I'm working on my Afro dance teacher <laughs> training um, right now, which is an online program, which it's amazing that I can learn acro dance education online. But also, again, getting creative with how you kind of structure your time, because um, it's easy to get wrapped up in the unknown and the uncertainty of everything that's going on right now. Um, but focus on, okay, we have dancers who want to dance. That didn't change. We have something to give and to share that hasn't changed. So how do we then clear that other stuff out of the way and pave the way to giving them the best experience possible? Because dance, whether it was going through puberty, going through rough times, having a down day as a mom, whatever that is, dance has been an escape for people for centuries. Like people have been dancing and just letting go. It's a celebration at a wedding. It's a way to get through hard times a way to pass on storytelling through dance. So continuing the art form and staying committed to that instead of all of the other noise going on around you, I think is so important to kind of nourish your soul as a dancer and just, you know, watching other forms of dance, learning new things, always staying in that kind of continuing education mode um, in terms of professionally. And then personally, like, I love the coffee idea, like find what you love. You know, taking some time out when I'm not dancing, I'm usually cooking a whole lot of stuff and getting really creative that way. So I make a wonderful peasant bread. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an invitation <laughs> after pandemic. Oh, you're not that far from me. I could deliver I, a loaf. <laughs> I know. And how about how about you, Paul? Your your university instructor and I, I you know I I wonder what that's like I don't know how 
well, you probably can't say how bureaucratic your university is uh, on camera, but yeah, how are you? <laughs> I think you already know how bureaucratic. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, how are you finding your focus in your center? You know, as a university professor and you know an artist. I don't know. I mean, it's really the the, the real answer. It's sort of every moment's a little different. I do like listening to people like Ginger <laughs> um, because there's like kind of, I feel like a, a kind of, again, I'm a very lucky human being. I'm very privileged. I have lots of things going well, so I can choose optimism. I can just really choose it and, and let it help me. So like, so Ginger, the way she was talking, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can really, I can take that on and kind of go at it with, with that, that, you know, everybody's in a kind of different place and I'm not always in that place so that that's kind of me um, personally but I do think this doing thing is really it like creative placemaking is such a it's just so beautiful that whole idea we're just all making our place and to kind of whatever agency you can muster up and create it I think is, is good and I think keeping a place for students to do that finding colleagues who are looking at it that way is good for me. There's a self-preservation kind of mode for me in terms of trying to tune out a lot of the, the other ways of looking at it, the, 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 the ways where people feel stuck or, or whatever, that just doesn't help me. But I know it's all there. I mean, people really are stuck. People are really having a difficult time. That is real. And I think some acknowledge of that is really important too, including our students in their own particular ways, including other faculty in their own particular ways, especially as they deal with the fears of being in proximity with people after months of really being able to re retreat from that and other people with kind of economic, the economic shifts. And it's a tough question. It's a big question. It is. It is. Yeah. And, and I, I, I wonder if you've had the experience of suddenly being thrust, either of you have been, been suddenly thrust in the role of therapist. Um, I, I know as a teacher, I've, I've been thrust in that role many times and I haven't been teaching since the beginning of pandemic. So I don't know. I haven't had that experience of having to be a teacher and therapist at the same time during the pandemic. A little bit. I mean, <laughs> I, I think so. I think I don't know, just with our students, I don't know, I've often thought about sort of how that happens, that kind of relation happens with students. I think it, I've over the years thought maybe women are a little more um, looked to for sort of nurturing things. There's sort of a gender thing that, that plays out, I, I think, um, but it all depends on people and their own personalities. But I think the way we occupy space with people in studios, um, really interested to hear what other people say with especially younger people, but the way we share space is a unique kind of thing that kind of elicits a, a feeling of familiarity or um, comfort. So that does come out. So when you say, how's it going? You like, I asked a student that last night and I was not prepared for the, the answer, which was not positive. I mean, she's having a really tough time. So in that moment, you are a, you're a couple different things. I'm not sure I dealt with it perfectly. I'll just put that out there. It's hard to it's hard to be good at that all the time. But anyway, yeah, a little bit of both. I think uh, the answer to your question, Andrea. I've definitely seen it. I I've, I've made the uh, same thing where it's how you guys doing tonight? Mm. Yeah, and it's not good. And 
I think because I'm also in the position of having like the dance school. So I've got the older kids, the middle school, high school kids, they'll unload and tell you everything, whether you want to hear it or not, right? The little ones will say, I'm great. I don't have the virus. You're like, okay, sweetie. <laughs> and then I'll get an email from a parent like, oh my gosh, my husband lost his job and the school just announced they're going virtual and we don't have money. I can't work from home with them running around the house. I don't know what to do. Do you know anybody who told me? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't have the answer. Um, but I do think we've created kind of this family atmosphere in dance where the kids dance together and then their families talk together. They, well, they used to talk together in a waiting room, right? Now they're in the parking lot talking. And so it, it's just second nature for them to just ask for help or to just be really honest with how they're doing. And even some of our staff, because most of the most of teachers who teach in a dance school setting, they have other jobs. And so seeing one by one, each of them having their jobs canceled, furloughed, laid off. I have a professional ballerina on our staff. Her company's not coming back until July. That's from March, I'm sorry, January. From March till next January. I mean, seeing all of that fall apart for the staff, things falling apart for the kids, getting behind in school, you know, with the parents. Like, what, what can we do to be, be strong as a community, not just on the dance floor, but how to reach out to each other, even if we don't have the answers just to listen sometimes is really important. So do we have any questions from, from the chat? Do we have any voice questions? Yes, hi, uh, Leo Vasquez. Um, uh, thank you all. Uh, this has been really uh, informative. I, I guess I'm wondering, uh, could you take us through the process of, of, how did, uh, of what it was like to decide to go online? Um, you know, the challenges you faced, what were the, uh, I mean, you talked a little bit about the concerns, but could you, you know, what was the process for your pivoting to this, this format at, at this time? Uh, well, for me, we had, in the span of two days, gone from full classes, full studios running simultaneously, full waiting room to one-by-one one emails. I'm not going to send my kid. I heard that there's a case over here or I saw this on the news and I don't want to do this. And so those emails started coming in. And this is when like our school district was still open. Nothing around us had closed. Things were still running as usual, but I kind of saw that it was going to happen sooner than later. And so I said, all right, well, we are now on a Thursday night class when we normally have 16 kids dancing in the building and we have two. And so let's start Saturday with online classes, just make that shift. We saw in other areas. So I have a sister in North Carolina, her son's school, they shut down way before they did in New Jersey, which is so surprising. And so I just saw it like it was coming and it was inevitable. And so I said, okay, what, what's gonna be the easiest way that we can do this? We happen to be uh, G Suite users. And so all of our teachers already have Google accounts through our, our studio. And so doing classes on Google Meet was kind of a no brainer. We've done staff meetings that way. And so we said, this is what we're gonna do because 
not having class wasn't an option. We had just, mm -hmm. in our case, we had just run costume payments and we were preparing for a show in June. We weren't stopping for anything. We had dancers who want to dance and I said, dear goodness, if we cancel classes because of this, everyone's going to want a refund and we can't do that. We have to just plow ahead and keep teaching dance. I don't care what it takes. We're going to figure it out. So that's kind of, it was a, we had to keep teaching dance. <laughs> it wasn't a thought of let's close down. And I know other studios kind of said, oh gosh, well, we're going to shut down for two weeks, let it blow over and we'll come back in two weeks. And I'm like, wow, I'm so glad I didn't make that choice. Because um, I think it's even tougher when you kind of try to shut it down and then to get it back up and running. How about you, yeah, Paul? For, mm -hmm. Yeah, for us, it was all the all that kind of decision making has been made by people who are higher than me. So with us, it was like once everything shut down, it was just everybody was in the shift. So it's kind of like being somebody who works for Ginger instead of being Ginger, right? And who's making the decision. Uh, so I think the, the and then we, we came back to campus. At that point, the administration asked faculty if they wanted to teach online or in person um, or whatever. And then so faculty had some real choice in in figuring out how they wanted to teach. And like I said before, most of our faculty really wanted to do kind of a version of in, in person. I think for a lot of the reasons Armani was sort of talking about. Um, but in March, it was one, one asset in March when we didn't come back from spring break was having had the first part of the semester to build a relationship with all the classes that were happening. And that really helped in the shift to get through the remainder of the semester. You know, the, a big question for universities is new clientele, right? I wonder how like studios are dealing with this. It's like, how do you build a business? How do you expand a business? Or, you know, is it just triage really? Is it all just a, a form of triage as, as we're, doing that. I don't know. I feel like UVM's answer, and hopefully we'll be able to make it on ca campus, was to come back. A lot of universities coming back was a big part of that. So hopefully we'll be able to stay around here on campus. And if I could ask a follow-up, um, what messages or what, what, what would you say, what messages would you give to somebody else who runs a dance school or any other kind of arts organization that is uh, primarily in person? What, what can you tell them about how to handle this, how to, how to deal with uh, being online? Ginger, are you a part of, or maybe some of you are part of the, one thing that really happened is people came together quick to share resources and ideas. And so yeah. there's a Facebook, and there's one specific Facebook group that I'm pretty religiously following that's all, like questions come up and ideas. So uh, there was a sense of community that happened that wasn't there before, I would argue, in terms of pooling resources and ideas. So I'm not sure I would be the best person to give you ideas, but that Facebook group would give you lots of ideas. Um, and I bet you there's a lots yeah. of things like that out there. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of both professional organizations that have Facebook groups, as well as just peer-to-peer -peer Facebook groups that they share everything from their setup at their studio to how to get the audio correct for your tap classes on Zoom. There's definitely a ton of resources. So if you've never made a friend in dance before, now's the time to talk with somebody. Who else would know better than another artist, right? 
whether you're a professional artist or teaching three-year-olds and you're all on Zoom, y'all, or in our case, Google Meet, y'all have some of the same things. Like, I can't get my audio or getting things up on the big screen. So I would say in my case, the thing that we initially said is, okay, no problem. We have to be spaced out. You know, kids aren't in here. The teachers are going to teach in the studio rooms because we already have high-speed internet. We already have laptops. We've got the sound system. And we did that for maybe three days. And then we had an executive order shutting it all down. If they're not essential, they don't need to be working in, in person. And so then it was, how do we then get devices to all of our teachers, wherever they may live? And deploying iPads, iPhones, Chromebooks, webcams, making sure everything that you need is available. I've never uploaded so many songs to our dance software to Google Drive, right? Like we had our curriculum and syllabus on Google Drive, but not the songs and the playlist for the curriculum. Things that we never even, we never even thought that we needed to do. And I would also say that you also don't have to spend a lot of money. We didn't spend a ton of money upgrading and doing the things that we did. The one thing I would caution with when you start talking to your colleagues, especially in those Facebook groups, those large ones with thousands and thousands of dance teachers, is everyone's throwing out so many ideas that you can mm -hmm. easily get overwhelmed and think you need something and a solution that's not actually good for you. You know, like some people were creating these insane, expensive systems and processes or we're doing one-on-one -on -one individual recitals in the studio where the child comes in and we roll out the red carpet. It has to fit what you do and your model and how you serve your dancers, your customers, or whatever it is. It's so easy to say, oh my gosh, I need to get, you know, a TV the size of <laughs> the studio. You don't need all that. And I'd say the biggest thing that I, I found was intuitive for me, but not for my teachers, was that teaching online is more about connection than technique. It's so much more important to start the class with a couple of minutes of checking in. How are you? How are you doing? When you kind of show that you care about the person, then you can move on to working on technique. Like it, the connection is so much more important than, you know, let's start the class on time and you better point your feet and like, you can't even see their feet half the time, you know? Now's, yeah. a, now's a great opportunity to work on something that maybe um, you don't normally get to do. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and I imagine this technology that the students have varies greatly. Very much so. Very right, much so, so. That sim the simplicity of it, sometimes really that's not just what you can do, it's what matches people out there can can access to. That was so smart. That was such great advice. Um, I, the other thing that's happening, you know, right now it feels like, you know, everything's happening in this context of major unrest, you know, and so it's, it's interesting, there, there's this, all this technology, but there's this, these bigger questions about what are we teaching anyway, and how are we teaching it, and, and so, but you, like, there are moments when I'm like, this is too much, like, because like, everything's kind of been thrown up in the air, but in other ways, it feels like the perfect moment. If we're going to shift, let's, let's really start to shift, and I think that the last thing Ginger said about that connection with people, really the, the basis of all of that kind of shifting and rethinking comes, comes down to that, and really focusing on that, as, as opposed to these ideas of what it should be or what it, or what it used to be.
so it's just a, it's a big moment like and there's just so much to to consider in the reconsidering of, of things okay well thanks again keep dancing <laughs> keep do, keep being amazing and you know we'll see you soon you've been listening to creative place produced by the national consortium for creative placemaking please stay in touch Subscribe to our website at cpcommunities.org slash subscribe or follow us on social media at CP Communities. Bye for now.